Welcome to the Absite Smackdown Podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back. It's me, your host, Jess, of Absite Smackdown Podcast. And with me, as always, is Dr. David Kashmir. And today we also have one of my favorite guests, Dr. Carlos. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Jessica. Good, good to be back. Hey, Dr. Carlos. How are you? Long time no see. Doing okay. I know, right? Glad to be back. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. Um, those of you just tuning in that haven't been with us from the start, Dr. Carlos is one of the really important team members with us on AppSite SmackDown. He's helping with edition number three. He also has a group of residents that are co-authors that have been helping. He's just really important to our AppSite SmackDown team, and we're so happy to have him on anytime he's available. He has such a busy schedule, but it's great to get him in here. Not that Dr. K doesn't have a busy schedule. He does. I just have a little more access to him being the author, but um, it's so great to have both of you guys here. So um, speaking of book number three, edition three. I'm sure everybody's a little anxious about that. I feel like the heat is on me a little bit. Like, where is it? I'm, I'm the bad guy, right? Because I'm, I'm with the publisher. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, uh, Dr. Carlos, if you could talk about, you know, how you came in with us and what you've been doing, and then we'll throw it to Dr. K about him working with the residents. And that would be awesome. Yeah. So I met David back, I don't know, like a year ago or something like that. When he was, we met at work and, you know, he showed me this book and I was like, well, yeah, I have these residents that they need to start writing. And so that's where we started the conversation and uh, the residents loved it uh, because it it actually helps them with studying for the app site. So each one of them was assigned a chapter. And I mean, of course, if you're writing a chapter, you have to be the master of it. So they have to pick up pieces here and there uh, from books, from different books, so that they can compile it into an upside type of uh, edition to call it that, like a little bit of a summary from it. So they all really like it. They all really, really uh, enjoyed uh, the time when they were writing. They keep calling me with questions and what should I put here? What should I put there? And I sort of guide them on some of the chapters, mm-hmm. uh, but some of them, they did a terrific job. Uh, they were very, very involved with it. Uh, I know we brought like a couple of months ago or so we sent all the chapters and, you know, they have been edited, mm-hmm. uh, but they all really, really enjoy it. They all told me, hey, man, this is a great opportunity for all of us. Yeah. And it's total immersion. I mean, you have to learn every single part. Like if they don't nail, nail their own chapters, I'm going to be correct. Yeah. Sad, right? <laughs> <laughs> like with their test scores, they're going to be amazing. So Dr. K, what was it like? I know you had to coordinate with the residents writing the chapters, um, all the co-authors getting that in. What was that like for you? You know, it's a whole new generation that you get to help shepherd in. How is that? Well, the vision for Absite Smackdown, you remember, was to help residents perform their best on the Absite and to give them a course and a book that follows that course so that they can have the opportunity to almost attend a review course at home or wherever they want. Uh, Previously, you know, that required travel, uh, residents to go, you know, somewhere across the country. And not every resident got that opportunity. We work so hard in residency that we rarely have time or vacation time or something like that to get a review course. And I know from experience that some residencies are very built up and have almost internal review courses where they have sample questions and these different things. But 
Boy, many residencies don't have that. The Absite Smackdown Podcast. Visit the Smackdown at AbsiteSmackdown.com. Mm-hmm. So I, I say all that again uh, because it's been really fulfilling from the first edition till to now to see how it's evolved and been adopted by some entire residencies in the country, which was super mm-hmm. fulfilling to see. Uh, but if I had to come up with one word for um, how this has all been, I would say that word is difficult <laughs> because, <laughs> because the, uh, the first book um, I read, I think 15 website review books, I would think was the number. Uh, it was hundreds of hours of work, notes from other surgeons who participated, and that was edition one. And, uh, you know, it was just good to get it out. Yeah. Two matured some and now three it's really going to be fantastic. And the reason why that is, is thanks to Carlos and the team, uh, other resident staff who are helping yeah. uh, medical students who are in on it and additional uh, surgical provider surgeons and uh, different uh, professors at some different medical schools. So the bottom line is I couldn't be happier with where it went. It's uh, been a heavy lift. And this last edition has been a challenge for a different reason. And that's been coordinating everyone together and making sure we stay true to the original uh, work too. So bottom line is it's been great to see. And it's in no small part, thanks to Dr. Carlos uh, and the resident staff that he helped to bring in on the project. The Absite Smackdown podcast, bringing you the best for your Absite review. Right. And I mean, it has been a little slow. Like I, I hate to blame COVID because that's for everything. Everyone talks about it. Yeah, so COVID yeah. kind of hurts us, but it also helped us because as you talked about, you know, before people would have to fly, they'd have to go to these conventions. They'd have to do all of this. We were almost perfectly set up to already fill in those holes and those gaps when COVID hit because we were already online. We already had the content, had all of the stuff. So we were there for people when they didn't have any other option and not to our own horn or anything, but that just... I think we th- we were already ahead of the curve of what people were doing. So that's really fantastic. And to go back to Dr. Carlos and the residents, something that I think this ties in and helps is with research. So with the students helping, not only did this help with their app site, but then this helped them with their research and getting credits. Is that not correct, Dr. Carlos? Well, it actually uh, helps them. Uh, for instance, right now we have, I have several re- residents that have had projects and some of them have come up like, hey, you know, I read this on the book. Do you think we can do something about this? Can we like look back to our data and see what we can find from it, like from the trauma standpoint and the critical care standpoint? So I really think that it helps them. Uh, the book definitely has helped them uh, with that sense. Uh, we are trying to develop also a research uh, program here uh, you know, for the for the viewers to realize this is a community hospital. So it's a little bit challenging. Uh, but if you really want to get something done, you just have to push it and you just have to keep going. That's- well, I would just like to add here, though, uh, Jessica, and for all the listeners out there, Dr. Carlos, you know, is just kind of such a humble guy, talks about, oh, I'm at this community hospital. They have a mature and growing uh, trauma center in McAllen, Texas, and they're vying for uh, ACS accreditation as it's actually a level one that you're going for. Isn't right. it, Carlos? They're, they're building up to that. So while uh, he's being so humble about it, this same Dr. Palacio helped set up and was like the, the I guess, progenitor of this uh, trauma conference 
where a very well-known and respected trauma surgeons from across the country traveled to Southwest Texas, uh, McAllen, Texas, and they had a robust, complete uh, on-site conference and in their first year it was very successful. So as much as Dr. Carlos says, oh, it's a community hospital, you know, we don't really, we don't really have much. Yeah, I saw like four video cameras, ton of famous surgeons, uh, and everyone, you know, really learned a lot and it was very educational very academic. So it just shows what can be done with uh, uh, kind of a lot of initiative. So don't let them fool you. That's just all run of the mill routine community hospital. It's actually much further along than that. So what you're saying (laughs) is Dr. Carlos is a driving force. It was the convention and two of my favorite doctors, which is Dr. K and Dr. Carlos happened to be at that convention. I just feel lucky just (laughs) just to to be clear about it. I just feel lucky that I happened to write Abside Smackdown because if I hadn't written it when I did, Dr. Carlos probably would have written that too. And I wouldn't, you know, I would have never. So I kind of feel, I kind of just feel lucky that I I kind of did it one day. So anyway, but that's the story. So they're really coming, they're building up the research there. It's been Mm -hmm. fun to kind of be around and see that happen and uh, their participation with the, book has been fantastic. So onward for, you know, edition three. That's awesome. So Dr. Carlos, the conference, um, what was that like? Was that a lot of pressure? Did you, like, how did you even put that together? Well, uh, it was a lot of works, uh, months of works, actually. I think I contacted you, David, what, at the beginning of the year or something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I told him, listen, we, I want to make this conference here in McAllen. I think the community needs it, the medical community. Uh, and I tried to design it not only for doctors, but also for nurses and, and paramedics, all the pre-hospital. So mm-hmm. we, as David said, we brought different, you know, nurses, uh, EMTs, uh, physicians, trauma, well-known trauma surgeons, military surgeons. And they all gave this amazing talks uh, uh, about everything, you know, trauma, critical care, pre-hospital care. Uh, mass shooting events, uh, COVID-19 and healthcare uh, burnout. So it was, uh, it was truly, truly amazing. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody had learned, you know, the panel, uh, the panel, you know, David was part of it and it was phenomenal. Like all the questions that we have and, you know, the way they teach, the way they express themselves to the public. I mean, the public really love it. I mean, the next week, everybody in the hospitals were talking about, XYZ lecturer and how that impacted the whole uh, his career, his practice, and how that was very, very excellent. It was excellent for them. So it was really good. It was excellent. That's awesome because I feel like when I asked both of you, like, how it went, how was the panel? Oh, it was good. It was good. Y'all are just so low-key. Oh, it was good. It was fine. It was fine. It was amazing. It was really, really nice. It was a lot of work. Uh, and, you know, you see me as, yeah, I'm the one that is organizing, but I have a whole team. You know, the trauma department was great. Marketing was great. Education. Education played a huge role because they were the ones that coordinated everything with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it was it was a team effort here. It was really good. You guys feel like you got any good research ideas out of it? Yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) Okay. Wonderful. All right. So um, Dr. K, was there anything that you wanted to add? I'm sorry. I got lost in the whole convention and my starstruckness, but I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Not so much to add. You know, one of the things we often do on here is talk about clinical scenarios and Mm -hmm. our feedback from viewers uh, and listeners has always been fantastic about it. Now, Mm -hmm. this isn't something we really did ahead of time when we did 
kind of um, issue or episode planning. But I was wondering if I could, uh, my colleague here would be willing to just indulge me for a second and just briefly talk about one particular problem I've had in the trauma bay lately, and maybe just give me some coaching on it, because I think our listeners who've been in this tough situation uh, will find that useful. So with that said, Dr. Carlos, do you mind if I just ask you a, a, a brief clinical question about something that happened to me lately, Yeah, uh, just to kind of bring it to the clinical side for our listeners out there? Mm-hmm. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown. The only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Yeah, was that, did you say that was okay with you? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, this is real straightforward. You know, I had a patient as a typical blunt trauma patient. uh, And basically, you know, Dr. Carlos and I recently taught ATLS and we'd done our very good primary uh, survey. We're on to our secondary survey, and the patient is persistently hypotensive with no clear reason why. They hadn't lost a lot of blood to the ground. There's no pneumothorax that needs correction. Pelvis is stable, all the stuff, in other words. No obvious sign of why this patient is persistently hypotensive. And we did a FAST exam, and the FAST exam, lo and behold, is negative. So we're faced with a difficult situation where we have a patient who's only 20 or 30 years old, not an elderly patient, who doesn't have profound blood loss and ongoing blood loss that we can find, but is persistently hypotensive with one negative fast. So Dr. Carlos, I know we sort of quickly skim through not even a full ample history, but basically what I'm trying to say is I've got a hypotensive trauma patient, no obvious correctable issue, and a negative fast. And since it happened to me twice in about a month, I thought, boy, let's talk to an expert and see what he thinks about where we would go with a difficult patient like this. What do you like to do? Well, uh, the first thing is, how are the vitals? How is the heart rate for the patient? They're persistently tachycardic, approximately 120 plus, Mm -hmm. uh, and persistently hypotensive in the 80s. This is not like a hemodialysis patient or somebody who has some other obvious explanation for why they do this. And again, we're just left kind of scratching our heads and continuing resuscitation with a hypotensive patient, but no obvious cause and a negative fast. Yeah. The main thing uh, in this particular case is uh, find out if the patient has an acidosis, if he's, you know, lactic acidosis and his temperature. I think, uh, yeah, bleeding, of course, is in our mind. Uh, he might have a retroperitoneal bleed, which is not seen by the fast. But I would start by trying to correct the coagulopathy or the temperature of the patient, make him make yeah. sure he's warm as well as fluid, fluid resuscitated him with blood. All, all great advice. And uh, with ongoing resuscitation, pressure comes up some. The patient is warm already. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are acidotic. Um, their pH is uh, about 7.2. Mm-hmm. does seem to be the metabolic acidosis you'd expect with uh, blood loss. Uh, and um, I think what you've already hit on is is nicely done. There are some reasons to have ongoing hypotension with a negative fast. Uh, you already mentioned retroperitoneal bleeds, et cetera, which would be unusual, but we're kind of in an unusual situation here. And I guess what this left us wondering, Dr. Carlos, is when you're stuck like this and you've gone back through the ABCs, do you repeat the fast? Do you go on to a DPL? Where do you, where do you go from there? 
I usually like to repeat the fast. Uh, I also, one thing that we tend to forget is uh, the thighs. We have to make sure there is no fractures uh, because, you know, you can bleed a lot in the thighs. Yeah. And I mean, that might be the cause of the, of the hypotension. Yeah, uh, and, and, I, and I moved this along so quickly just to kind of get to this decision point. Do I repeat fast? Do I do a, uh, uh, do I do the uh, DPL? Uh, and I, sh- I didn't mention, but could have, yeah, no femur fractures. As you said, you'll lose a liter to a femur fracture pretty easily. That didn't seem to be happening. No obvious cause. And when I said obvious, I, I could have been more clear, but no obvious cause of what's making them hypotensive. And I really like your point. Retroperitoneal bleeds not appreciated on fast. And you typically like to go on and repeat the fast again when you don't have a clear answer with that. Is that fair? I, I do it. Yeah, I do it twice at least uh, just to make it clear. Sometimes the patients at the beginning, since they're not bleeding that, I mean, they're bleeding, but you're not able to see it. Once you start a fluid resuscitation and bring the pressure slightly up, that's when you're able to see it. So I repeat it. If, if the next one is questionable or negative, I still going to take the patient to the OR. I, I like to look at the belly and, and at least that get that out of my mind. Yeah. You know, well, uh, I think those are very reasonable, a very reasonable thing to do with this difficult subset of patients that we've all had yeah. uh, when they're, you know, persistently hypotensive. And sure enough, um, with ongoing resuscitation, one of the patients did develop a positive fast. And I like what you said, you know, you need at least 250 milliliters of blood, a Coke can of blood to uh, see it on fast. And um, in elderly patients, although this wasn't an elderly patient, um, you know, they may have, they may show issues with even less blood loss because of physiologic reserve and then their fast shows up positive. So in one of these cases, absolutely. The patient had a Positive fast show up later. Of course, fast can miss retroperitoneal things. And there are even a lot of literature about this, uh, papers like Not So Fast from Lehigh Valley Hospital that talks about fast limitations, repeating fast, and, and maybe those who we should do a DPL in, uh, super umbilical if you suspect the pelvic fracture. So I think your um, advice is really well taken. And if, you, if you're still hypotensive, it's a reasonable choice to, uh, like you said, uh, perform the exploratory laparotomy, especially if you have suspicion. Really well, difficult set of patients. Yeah, one thing that I learned on elderly patients that I think is useful to all the residents out there is just make sure I learned that elderly patients are okay until they die. They don't have reserve. That's what you what you just said there is true. They don't have reserve. They seem to be okay, but all of a sudden they just go down. Uh, and you have to be very vigilant with, with our elderly patients. Yeah. You know, we talk about pediatric patients all the time and sort of talk about falling off a cliff and how they compensate and compensate, compensate until they don't. But I agree with you, Dr. Carlos, for elderly patients, they may have a relatively slight insult compensate and not be able to compensate anywhere near as long as a child, of course, and also sort of fall off a cliff. Uh, so experientially, I, you know, I uh, agree with you for sure. Well, I do appreciate the time, Jessica, to let us walk through a, a sort of part of a clinical scenario for a very difficult subset of patients, these patients who are persistently hypotensive with no obvious cause and kind of uh, with blunt trauma and our um, our approach to it. So thanks. Thanks for letting me do it. No problem. But just, you know, for me, <laughs> well, those two cases that you had, 
What was it? What was the cause? What was well, it? Well, in one, it was a, pos- a positive fast developed and the patient continued to be hypotensive. They mm-hmm. never went to the CT scanner as a result. And their exploratory laparotomy had a splenic injury. So they had their uh, trauma splenectomy performed and they did well. Uh, the other patient, just as Dr. Carlos said, was a retroperitoneal bleed. With resuscitation, their pressure came up. They did go to the CT scanner, and that demonstrated a retroperitoneal bleed. Uh, there was no need to embolize anything. It did stop. And with resuscitation, they did fine. So um, really just nailed it. Uh, those, those can be really tough patients to deal with. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm a lay person. I have to, I need the wrap up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. So just to, again, to wrap up for everybody else. So a little bit about research, a little bit about the convention, touching on the fact that I promise version three is coming. It is to the editors. They're almost finished. Um, it takes longer than you think it would. Um, I think all the illustrations are done. I think that we got the finals back this week. We'll have to we check on that. Okay. <laughs> so I thought, and it's coming, it's coming y'all. So I just want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank Dr. Carlos again for just being part of the team, for contributing so much, for helping us, for bringing his residents, for having that determination and that, you know, steam engine that just pushes things through we appreciate you and of course dr k you know how much we appreciate you without you we wouldn't be here so i'm just super grateful thanks guys thank you thank Thank you all right everybody so we'll see you next time and don't forget hashtag absite smackdown Thanks for listening to the Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit us at absitesmackdown.com for more great Absite facts.